This week on Dig Me Out. And it's a little bit like a cat crying. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like the... Tim and Jay review, The Sun is Often Out by the Long Pigs. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it is episode 206 of season four. We are at the end of our reviews, and it's a requested review to wrap up our fourth season. Requested Requested review. review. We'll be doing our annual wrap-ups episode next week but this week we are tackling a uh, request to review came to us by rob harford who had uh, earlier suggested an album this season and he's back to finish this off with the long pigs long pigs jay are you familiar long, with the the long pings long pigs they have bad internet connection yeah um, long pin. I thought it was the long pins for a while. But it's the long pigs, and uh, their Ooh. 1996 album, "The Sun Is Often Out." Long pins would be a better name. Yeah, me. I thought so too, but they went with long pigs. Hmm. What is a long pig? Not a short pig. <laughs> right. Not a stout pig. It's a long mm-hmm. pig. I don't know, Jay. I don't know what the reasoning behind the name is. It doesn't say on their Wikipedia page. Uh, were you familiar with them? <laughs> you are right there. I'm just. Uh, I'm on. I just wow. finished a blue moon and I'm moving to Yingling. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, you know, no. This the name sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, but other than that, no. Can't say I am. I'll be uh, truthful. I'm actually pretty familiar with this band or this album. I should say I'm not familiar with the second album, which we'll get to. But uh, this album, I, I actually owned it and I have the MP3s in my uh, vast uh, catalog of music that I ripped in the uh, early 2000s and uh, got rid of the CDs. This particular album, I heard the single on and on. Which has been used, uh, it was on the soundtrack for the first Mission Impossible movie. It was not actually in the movie, it was just like one of those music inspired by the movie soundtracks uh, that they used to sell more soundtracks back in the 90s. And um, this song was on it. Shot in love, so. Cause 
I was a fan because this was a band that was getting written about in like the enemy and melody maker in the mid nineties. And, uh, I read those magazines, so I was interested and so I picked it up, probably got this used. I'm guessing if this is a 96 album, I picked it up at either Mad Hatter's or Finder's Music in Bowling Green while we were in college. And I, I actually listened to it quite a bit. So going back, I probably hadn't listened to this record in over 10 years. So going back, a lot of it immediately sparked my memory as stuff that was sounded familiar. When did it come out? Uh, 1996, April of 96. Okay. It To me... Well, we'll get into this. Let's let's talk about some history of the band, and then we'll, we'll talk about our thoughts on this record. History of the band. The Long Pigs formed in Sheffield, England in 1993 by Crispin Hunt on vocals, Richard Hawley on guitar, Simon Stafford on bass guitar, and all additional instruments like piano and organ, backing vocals. And um, D. Boyle, who was the drummer in the band called Cabaret Voltaire, which is a interesting band. If you haven't checked them out, they, they're very wide, dis- very uh, how do you want to say disparate catalog. Some of it's kind of like early new wave synth dance stuff, and then some of it's like really aggressive, loud industrial sounding stuff. So he was the drummer on the first record, and then, and then Andy Cook was the drummer on their second album. So they have an interesting history. They originally signed to Elektra Records. And just before they were about to release their first single, um, Crispin Hunt was injured in a car accident. And he was ended up going into, he was in a coma for a couple days. So that delayed the band touring and playing shows for quite a while. So they, they reconvened. And just as they were about to start, you know, working again, um, Electric closed their UK office and they offered the band to another label who would be willing to pay 500,000 pounds to sign the band. So U2 had started a label back in the mid nineties called mother records and they bought the contract for 500,000 pounds to release the debut album uh, in April of 96. It was rated as, one of the top 50 albums by both Q Magazine and Melody, Ma- Melody Maker that year when it was released. Their second album, Mobile Home, was released in October of 1999. I mentioned that Andy Cook took over the drums on the second record. So he left the band. Uh, a year later, Mother Records folded, so the band was without a label once again. So the band just decided to break up. Uh, Richard Hawley went on to be the touring guitarist with Pulp for a while, and then he's gone on to make several solo records, which have been uh, pretty critically well-received. He appeared on um, a recent Manic Street Preachers album, Rewind the Film. He sang uh, the title track on that song, actually, on our title track on that album, split the vocals with James Dean Bradfield. Um, And Crispin Hunt has gone on to become a producer for such artists as Florence and the Machine, CeeLo Green, Natalie Imbruglia, Ron Sexsmith, and a number of other ones. Now, here's the really interesting part. So, while the band was still together in 99, post-album release, pre-label folding and band breakup, D. Boyle, the former drummer, uh, ran up on stage and attacked Crispin Hunt, the lead singer, 
to the point where um, he, the Crispin Hunt, required a stitches uh, below his eye from a punch, uh, six stitches actually. So Crispin Hunt's had a tough time as a lead singer, getting a car accident, going to coma, getting punched by his old drummer. So uh-huh. uh, yeah, probably why he want, didn't want to be in a band anymore and just decided to become a record producer. Crazy ass drummers attacking you. Yeah, um, probably better for his health. Yeah. So that's the history of the Long Pigs. Uh, if you'd like to suggest an album for our 2015 season, feel free to visit digmeoutpodcast.com and uh, let us know what album you would like us to review. We did get some Facebook feedback on this record, and I'll start with Rob Harford. He uh, was the person who suggested this record. He said, this is my request. Interested to see how many out there know the record. It had a decent profile in the UK at the time, but not sure if it really made a dent elsewhere. The singles are definitely high points, but I think the record as a whole stands up pretty well. At the time, what set them apart from the Britpop crowd was probably the more jagged, angular sound, a lot of which is down to Howley, or Holly, I think, and the vocal style, which I know was a turnoff for some. They were pretty decent live, too, as I remember. And then Joe Royland, longtime listener, says, Wow, I had, a, I had to dig that one out again myself. Been a while since I last listened to it. I was first introduced to the Long Pigs via the ballad On and On, which I quite liked and was featured on the Mission Impossible soundtrack, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, going by that track, the rest of the album was a bit different and noisier than I expected, but decent enough mid-90s Britpop. Still the aforementioned On and On, and she said... Still like the aforementioned on and on, she said, but I don't think the rest of the album holds up as well for me. Their guitar player, Richard Hawley, went on to play with Pulp before starting a solo career. So that's our Facebook feedback for this record, Jay. Let's get into this album. Let's talk about what we liked and what we didn't like, what worked, what didn't work, those sorts of things. I'm going to start with you this week, Jay, to wrap us up. Tell me one thing... That worked for you on this record. Oh, I feel like I'm in a game show with your format here. <laughs> Tell me, Jay, for the main, <laughs> for the for the grand prize. Uh, um, Lock it in, Jay. Lock in your answer. One thing that worked for me. You know, I like the. Uh, it is Britpop, but it's. Uh, I think like the the listener comments said there's a there's a little bit of a twist here in terms of uh, the noisiness there's a little bit of angularity and there's also just um there's more drama i guess i think of Britpop being fairly even keel um in terms of the oasis you know blueprint mm-hmm. um this is more in the i would say london suede or suede if you're in uk or Radiohead kind of area. So it has, um, or maybe even Pulp, you know, so it's got more attitude to it. It's, it feels a little more narrative, feels dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, it has some swagger. So it has those elements that I tend to like, you know, about UK music british music um the david bowie or queen kind of approach or background as opposed mm-hmm. to like i said the verve or some of the stuff that 
I think we more classically think of as 90s Britpop, which is, I think, a little drier and more straightforward. Um, so I, I like that it's got it's got that bass, but it kind of goes to another level, which is cool, uh, with a little more flair. Is that considered one thing? That's considered one thing. Okay, good. Uh, I'll give you one my my one thing for this uh, for this record. I think that I, I'm gonna agree with you. Hey, don't um, steal there, my one thing. There's a little another. There's a little bit more to this than just a typical Britpop band, and I think one of the main reasons why is because of Simon Stafford, the bass player, bass player slash uh, organist slash uh, piano player. He adds an element and a texture to a lot of these songs that creates that drama. Mm. Um, I'm thinking of like on track two, she said, mm. I think. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm tra- on, on and on the single. Um, mm-hmm. After that first verse, th- that organ like rises and peaks and like adds this dramatic element to the song. That's really cool. And he adds piano and organ to a lot of these tracks that would be okay without them but he adds this extra texture that i think you know oasis never played with they were pretty much always guitar driven yeah unless you had like you know them ripping off the beatles and doing the uh the piano part to uh what's that one song one oasis song on uh don't look back in anger it's got that it's got the beginning of uh imagine I think at the beginning of that song, oh, geez. which is not a Beatles song. It's a John Lennon solo yeah. song, obviously, but same difference. And Blur were, you know, the other primary Britpop band in terms of the world. Um, I think I think of Pulp and Suede or London, London Suede um, being more UK Britpop, whereas Oasis and Blur seem to cross over into the US. Um, mm-hmm. Blur did not really play with a lot with keyboards, organs. Those, I mean, they were incorporating like strings uh, on songs like the universal, uh, uh-huh. but it wasn't until they got ex- started getting experimental, which these are, so- these are not experimental songs. They're just using this for texture and dramatic effect and really yeah. building interesting songs that uh, a second thing that I like about this record is it has a vibe like they pretty much stay mid-tempo or slow for the whole record. Yeah. And um, the one time that they don't do it on Elvis, I think it's the biggest failure on the record. What? I think, it's, I think it's the most outside of the realm of what they do well. Hmm.
I discovered I was the self that money down the state of heaven. I live here with my water down dozy level. Ten million out of clad genius. I bought me a pack of competing weapons. One man with a bitch, she spit on my See that you disagree with me on that. Why? Why do you disagree with me? Uh, I found that some of the meet, um, the mid tempo stuff was very interesting in terms of how things were structured and the instrumentation. Uh, and the melodically, um, the vocal is unexpected uh, a lot of the time. So you may hear a chord progression that seems, you know, pretty like you've heard it before. Mm-hmm. But then he'll put a vocal melody over it you completely didn't expect. Um, and it keeps those, I think, half of those mid-tempo songs interesting for me. The other half come off as typical 90s alt-rock, you know, almost like U2 throwaways or something. Um, really? So, yeah. So that song to me was a really, uh, it was just a good change of pace on the record for me. Um, and I love uh, sort of the second half where it goes to halftime and that uh, melody that's there is very Bowie-esque, especially the background vocals. Um, could totally be a David Bowie song. And um, it's kind of unexpected how it shifts into that halftime part. Um, and, I, and I like the up-tempo vibe of it just as an album track, you know, just to mix things up because you're right, it does stay in that same groove for the most part. Um, you know, and Radiohead does that too, right? I mean, the, I think the bends is all very similar in terms of tempo, but they're keeping it interesting, obviously, through the songwriting and the instrumentation and textures and things. So uh, this band is obviously, this is not the bends, but, you know, I think some of them, I, I, I would say like half of them, um, you know, I think we're pretty well in the other half. They're just, they're okay, you know? So for example, like All Hype, um, I like the I like the dynamic of that, the extreme, um, quiet and, and you know loud, but melodically, you know it's it's okay. It's not it's not outstanding. Track one, lost myself. You know, it's a nice enough sort of Radiohead sounding alt rock song, or with kind of a London Suede style vocal, Brett Anderson style vocal, but it doesn't really go beyond that for me so Mm -hmm. it sounds a little derivative and kind of alt rocky um you know typical of the 90s
but a song like she said, I think does. It has more attitude. I think the ones that, that that have more personality and attitude to them and push a little further are the ones that really stand out. So she said, "Far on and on." Um, Jesus Christ, even though I don't, that vocal is the the lyric is kind of I don't know. I find it kind of painful, but the melody is really strong and the chorus, you know, the concept, of the chorus is really strong. Um, and then I liked Elvis. So the ones that kind of poked out and did something a little bit. Uh, stepped over the line a little bit more the ones that I seem to gravitate towards. We should talk a little bit about Richard Hawley because I think that his guitar playing is both fairly solid, but then he throws in these he throws in a lot of weird stuff. Like the you mentioned she said that riff that he plays in that song is like all over the place in terms of being it's melodic but then it's jagged and then like it sounds sloppy but then it it's it makes sense but some of it doesn't repeat quite the same way it's it's a really interesting uh or, or his guitar playing is really interesting on this record because it's not always what you would think of in terms of being a brit pop record yeah um, it's way more i don't want to say complex because that makes it sound like it's a progressive rock or something like that but it's not like you know no gallagher strumming a les paul playing bar chords or open G or something like that. Like there is a lot going on with the guitar stuff. And it's interesting because Richard Hawley as a solo artist, although he's a really good guitar player, he's kind of known as more of like a crooner. Um, he has a very deep voice. So he, he kind of has, does a lot of like slow uh, songs and a lot of ballads and a lot of very um, kind of, I don't know. A lot of it sounds like very traditional sounding because of just the way his voice sounds. Um, so the guitar playing is not quite as crazy as it is in some of these songs. Not that it's over the top, but it's just like he's just doing enough to keep the guitar playing a quite a bit more interesting. It reminds me a lot of what Graham Coxon does in his solo stuff away from Blur when he's able mm. to like get out of that pop format. He's actually a pretty a interesting songwriter in, on his own right away from Blur. And uh, his guitar playing can get pretty jagged and pretty... Um, interesting. A lot of that has to do with his interest in like American indie rock. Uh, there's a lot of influence from like Pavement and Guided by Voices and uh, Pixies and and those sorts of bands. So this isn't quite the same thing, but I still think it's really interesting as far as the guitar playing goes. I agree. I, I found the format similar to what you hear on the Benz and OK Computer in terms of there's a. Uh, a strummy guitar or a electric a clean pick guitar, but then there's this contrast of over top um, this distorted, more angular, dramatic uh, guitar that kind of bursts in and is uh, at times almost completely separate. You know, it um, it'll be mm-hmm. panned a little bit or it'll sound like it's like it's coming from nowhere, um, and and it jumps into the song and explodes into this whole new, you know, feel that, that was what I related to what he was doing to. Now I realize this album came out, sounds like between the Benz and okay computer. So it's hard for it came me to out not, about exactly one year after the Benz. Yeah. So it's hard for me to not think that, you know, a song like just didn't have some influence on what they're doing here on some of this stuff, which is fine. But I agree. I think there's sometimes where, 
it completely saves the songs and makes them it elevates them to be something you know really compelling other times it's so it gets a little too weird so i'm thinking of um over our bodies which is a nice enough ballad towards the end of the record mm-hmm. um there's this bridge where they bring in this bass line and new guitar part that is very weird um it seems to be pulling the song in this whole new direction. And then it kind of stops and busts back into the, you know, the chorus. makes it interesting but it also makes it maybe more awkward than it needs to be like it's trying a little too hard sometimes uh, if that makes sense um to be to be interesting or to be you know weird um so that and and overall i felt that that you know the the crunchier more distorted guitar stuff sometimes the tone is a little tin canny it's a little brittle at times yeah 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 uh, it, gets, it gets a little ugly, um, not in a good way. Yeah. It, it's a little weird. So sometimes that effect kind of works on the record, and other times you're just so confronted with it sounding, I don't know, yeah, weak or brittle. You start to just, it takes away a little bit. Um, it doesn't have that beefy sound that, you know, when Radiohead does it, that they have this, it's a little bit different. Sounds like it's coming through a phone or something sometimes. So yeah, it, it's definitely interesting uh, that uh, that guitar is 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 um, I think sometimes the savior of the, of the songs, and at other times it's the could be potentially the thing that ruins it. What do you think about the falsetto on this record? I thought it worked in parts, like in "She Said." I think it works there. I think you mentioned Jesus Christ. When he sings really high in that song, I think yeah. it sounds strained. Yeah. Um, I think he he doesn't necessarily pick the right spots all the time to do yeah. it. Yeah, I agree. There's there's certain times when he does it where, like on and on, I think the way the vocal is 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 constructed in that through the whole sequence from the intro through the chorus is brilliant because it really it just keeps building. Mm-hmm. But there's other times where he goes to it and it's a little bit like a cat crying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like the, and you're like, oh, no, no. 
he yeah. doesn't quite know the, you know the best time how the he doesn't completely have control over it and, and no. how to fully understand how to use it um so i think there's more than one moment like that on this record where it's a little cringy um when he goes to that falsetto Been up here almost too long. It's only fair they should start to raise the fence. Almost too hard. Place my heart, then I have to stitch it up. And it only goes to show you can live with what you don't know. Yeah, I, I wish he'd been a little bit more judicious with that and and not broken it out as, as many times because it's a good weapon to use, but I don't think you want to use it as many times as he does because it right. loses its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned about over our bodies, they're getting a little more experimental. I felt like the back half of the record, um, there were a couple songs you know, I mentioned I didn't really like Elvis, and that that's a little bit weird because it goes, you know, from this up tempo to this dropping to this halftime part. Um, then you have like a dozen wicked words. Is this like droney kind of feel to it? Yeah, um, it's pretty boring. I felt like uh, they they got to Jesus Christ, and then sort of the last, and then there's a there's a hidden track called Sleep. Uh, after yeah. over our bodies that they just decided those last couple songs are going to kind of try some things mm. and up until then i was really on board with most of the record um did you find that to be a, you know similar or did it or did, was it a bit more spotty for you overall um i definitely think they crescendo on jesus christ you know to me that's the high point of the record in terms of energy and just it feels like it all builds to that song and then I agree. The rest of the record is them meandering around. Um, I think what I would have liked to see is maybe like a song like Happy Again get pulled in favor of Elvis to give the middle of the record just a little bit of pop, um, a little bit more energy, and then end it at Jesus Christ. Um, I know Mm. in the 90s, an eight song, I guess that would have been a nine song. A nine song record would not have been acceptable. No, <laughs> unfortunately. But in terms of you know now looking back and using the seventies um, as more a format of probably what a good album constitutes in terms of length and and um, sequencing, I would say that sequence produces to me a better, a stronger record. I agree. I, I this you could definitely rearrange this and make this a better record and cut a few songs and it'd be Although, really really strong. Although the intro of Happy Again reminded me of Queen uh, Fat Bottom Girls. <laughs> Did you get that? The guitar riff and the. Well, like a slowed down version of that. Like it just needed that stomping, like boom, boom, boom. It has yeah. a. It has not quite as, Not quite as pronounced. Yeah, it's slower. 
it's not the faster, but yeah, yeah, it's the one single kick drum thing, and the guitar part sounds similar. It it goes a way different place after that, but still, it's just that whole intro part. Just I can I can see where you're going with that. Couldn't think of that. All right, let's go into what our overall review is for this record. Jr. Patent pending, worthy album, better EP, decent single. Uh, where are you at on this record? <sighs> well, like I said, I. I I'd like to, I'd like it to be about nine songs. So, if I really just look at the songs that I that I you know kind of highlighted here and felt were really strong, I'm at uh, five. Okay. So to me, you know, if I'm being honest, it's probably more of an EP. I think there's you know a couple more that you can put on there. There's nothing wrong with them. I just think that they're they're just a little too average. Um, on a, on a record, there's going to be. You know, a typical record. There's going to be a couple tracks that are a little bit average, um, <clears throat> so I think you could maybe get to seven. But even then, I think you're not quite at a record. So I'm gonna say an EP. Yeah, I I am too. I would get seven songs to your five. Um, so that'd be a pretty long EP. But uh, I think you've got out of the first eight, I think seven of those are easily album material. So if they were to, you know pick something to close it out i think you'd have a really strong eight track album but for me it's at seven seven solid songs yeah so in terms of uh you know they took their shot with going mainstream you know soundtracks they made it to the year-end lists of best albums on several magazines they charted with on and on both in the uk and then they also got some play in the united states uh why don't you do you have any thoughts on why this album didn't do better why this band didn't do better uh was it just that this is not catchy enough i think in the u.s i think the combination of the the vocal style and just slight angularity of things were probably just a little too off kilter for radio right i mean he doesn't really sound he doesn't really sing like um you know tom york it's a little more like i said it's to me it sounds like brett anderson from suede so and they weren't successful here either. No. And I think that's why. <laughs> I just think that vocal style had no place on American pop radio. You know what I mean? It didn't sound like Eddie Vedder, and it didn't sound like Kurt Cobain, and it didn't sound like Blaine Staley, and it didn't sound like Tom York. Sort of the, paradi- the paradigms that existed, it didn't follow any of those. So it was just too weird, I think, for Americans to be successful. So I think it comes down to, to that and... I mean, obviously, there's not. I think "On and On" is a is a really strong song, and there's a couple others that have some good melodies and hooks. But I don't think there's any one on here where I hear it and I think, "Wow, this should have been a huge hit," you know? Right. Um, I think with maybe a label pushing it, you know, you could have got something here to break through. Um, if the I think if the vocal was a little more, I guess, predictable and standard in terms of American taste. Did you even know that you two had a record label? Because I didn't. No. What do you mean? Like well, this you two started the label, but that this was released on. It was a subsidiary of Island Records that you two was on. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Mother Records. This was they signed the band. No. Other artists that were on this label uh, included the Sugar Cubes, who would then be better known as the band that Bjork used to be in. Yeah. Gil Scott Heron, who was 
a relative artist in the 70s, but wasn't necessarily a, a big artist in the 90s. Um, and then a bunch of artists I never heard of. And then also was the place where Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen released the theme from Mission Impossible. Mm. So what were you two doing at this time? Is this pop era or? So this is in between. Uh, pop came out in, that came out in 97. The hmm. album before that would have been Zuropa 93. It was four years between records. Mm. So I guess they had time to sit around and start a record label. Yeah. I mean, they were touring like like a ton for Zuropa. So they were, that was when they had the big lemon on stage and stuff like that. And they were doing the multimedia show. And yeah. so I think that's when they were like, they had the telephone on stage and they were calling Bill Clinton calling the white house <laughs> all right yeah so i wasn't a, i wasn't a big youtube fan no i'm probably uh, more a fan now than i <laughs> than i was then and i'm barely a fan now i i would i would i've always been i've only really liked one record to be honest with you two yeah and that's octoon baby uh i was a I really like the single one. Just like that one song. And I've always I've always listened to the new records when they come out. Yeah. But they've I've never been like emotionally invested in that band. Yeah, I'm I'm more I'm more fascinated by the early stuff and mm-hmm. then I'm the same yeah. as you were. Yeah, when the new record comes out, I'll listen to whatever. I'll pay, I'll I'll pay attention to whatever it is just to hear if there's something there that's interesting, but I've never bought a u2 record <laughs> yeah um so i've got them probably i probably got them through the music clubs like yeah back in the 90s i probably got like rattle and hum and the joshua tree and unforgettable fire and i mean i know all the records and i know all the songs it just they're just not some people you know have emotional connections to bands like you too, but I've never gotten really emotionally connected to super huge bands. So yeah. it's been smaller bands that make more of an emotional impact on me. So, yeah, it's funny. I almost, uh, going through my CD collection and trying to catalog it. I, I had a tendency to, even though I really liked some of the bigger bands, like I wouldn't buy the records. So even like big bands like Guns N' Roses, like I liked Guns N' Roses a lot, but I wouldn't, I don't think I bought, went out and bought Appetite for Destruction at the time because it was so prevalent and there were so many singles from the record on the radio and on MTV mm-hmm. and everything that I didn't feel like I needed to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, there's a, definitely a case for that. <laughs> so it was the same way with U2 and a lot of these bands that are super popular. I just felt like, well, I'm going to hear them. You know, I, I don't dislike it, but I'm going to hear it for free all the time. So why would I go buy this? I don't right. need to hear you know, welcome to the jungle any more than I'm already hearing it. Cause I'm hearing it, you know, at least two to three times a day, just in, in my periphery. <laughs> like, like what kind of mad person needs to hear it more than that? Right. Um, so I wouldn't, I would actually, you know, find myself going through my collection and realizing I don't have a lot of, the, or if I do have them, I got them like, like you said, where I would go back and get them on uh, through record clubs or something like that, you know, or used years later. Um, just right. Because they, you know, they weren't on the radio as much anymore. Yeah, I was the same way. You just you get them when you get them. You don't, yeah. It's not like I have to rush out to the store and buy them. Yep. So, all right. Well, 
we need to stop. Uh, we need to stop and thank uh, Rob Harford for making this uh, selection. He uh, previously suggested that we check out uh, uh, Silver Sun, which is a band we did uh, mid-year. Two good picks. So, uh, thanks again, Rob. And if you want to make a suggestion for a 2015 season, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com where you can hit up our request review page. And as always, feel free to leave us some positive feedback over on iTunes. Get ready. Next week, it's our year-end show. We're going to have lots of information, news, all that kind of stuff. That's it. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. Be back next week with our final episode for 2014 of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.